Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes completely eradicating not just reducing completely eradicating i believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for mondays not fridays and get to do their most meaningful work the aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content but instead shift the context under which you operate this podcast is titled choosing leadership because that is what leadership is a choice In each episode I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices which are not always easy and comfortable but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership at the end i will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast and with that let's get started ram is a serial entrepreneur and currently the founder and ceo of vayana network in the interview ram shares his unconventional philosophy on workplace dynamics rejecting the traditional approach of strict policies and all appraisals and rigid structures he likens his organizations to a train each compartment representing a unique ecosystem he challenges the status quo asserting that trust is the cornerstone of productivity and pays salaries based on future promises rather than past performance he dismantles the conventional notion of control urging leaders to prioritize economic sense over archaic practices leaving you pondering over the relevance of rear view hr policies in our tech driven and fast paced world hi ram welcome to the choosing leadership podcast hey hi hi sumit glad to be here thanks for inviting me it's a pleasure to have you here why don't you start by sharing a little bit of who you are and what keeps you busy these days yeah now i'm the ceo and founder of a company called vayana vayana basically in sanskrit means weaving So we are a B two B trade financing infrastructure platform. Essentially, all that means is that basically every business does trade with other businesses and needs financing to buy or sell. And we try and make sure that the entire process is as efficient and as cost effective as possible. That's what keeps me busy most of the time. Other than, of course, spending a lot of time with Baden. So. Mm. Absolutely. I think we will talk about uh, that uh, a bit later. But tell me a bit more. How did you got started into business or entrepreneurship? Yeah, it's a good a good point you raised there. Starting a business, but that's what it was when I started off in ninety four. Nineteen ninety four is when I started off. So I did my ma- management in ninety one, and then I joined a consulting firm which was called Anderson Consulting, which then became Accenture. And then in ninety four uh, Valentine's Day is when I decided we started a business with a engineering friend of mine. and obviously there was no intention there of really thinking of it as a startup or an entrepreneur or anything that was all it was like starting any other business you could start a local kirana shop for example that would have been also been a business 
And the interesting thing was we started off without much idea except the fact that we wanted to try and uh, create something. I think creating something was always the back of the mind for both of us. And one thing led to the other, it became what would nowadays be called a fintech. And we decided we were basically going to work in the financial services space. We are going to be providing products, IP and all that. And that was a journey in my first startup, which was called CashTech with two other co-founders from my, we were four co-founders remote from my management institute. We four did this together till 2004 when we sold off the company to an U.S. company. And then I stayed on for three more years till 2007. And then it was then thinking of the next idea and I realized even the space I was in, there was a lot of opportunities still to be left. So in 2008, I came back to India, spent some time talking to a very old friend and ex-banker. At that time, a very banker, now also a banker. And that time period, we were thinking about what to do and we got excited with the idea that I had. And we decided to form a second startup. But like all things start, we went and acquired a company. And then that was my second startup, which was basically an acquisition. And we spent some time along with two other friends trying to get it up and running. And that took a considerable amount of time before I could come back to what was Viana in 2017. So technically, this is my third startup. So 30 years of being what one would call being in business or entrepreneur. Yeah. And it's, I don't think I set out to be one. I don't think I did. But three startups, I don't think I said I would be 30 years in this on my own. I don't think I even said that I would be in the same business line because I've 30 years, generally all my three startups have been in the same space. I don't think I set out to do any of that. I think went where, wherever I saw an opportunity. That's all it's been. It's a great journey of 30 years now. Thank you for sharing that. And a lot has changed in 30 years, not just with with the situation around us, the world that we live in, but also like the companies that you founded and the com- the way those companies are run. But before I go to the companies, I want to ask like, how have you changed? How have you been different in each of these different startups? How have you evolved as a person, as a leader? What do you see there? I guess it is very difficult to self-examine oneself uncritically or critically. Honestly speaking, I think I was a lot more, obviously much more emotional, tied to the people, the company and everything else. And I think I still have, but I have a certain amount of dispassionateness now about viewing what people want to do, what companies want to do. And to that extent, I think I've imbued a lot more live and let live philosophy Mm. rather than saying that everything has to run the way I think I should run. So I think that's been, and I think that's a natural progression of the age better than with companies. The second, I think, is that when you've been 30 years in cycles, multiple cycles, you tend to become much more mature about handling different uh, challenges that come up, crises that come up, or opportunities that come up. I think you don't get overly ecstatic or uh, despondent with anything. Uh, so I think a lot more flattening of the serotonin and happens there. Um, and third, I think, is that when you start off, I guess you define your success by what you can do. Mm-hmm. And I think over a period of time, like for everybody, it becomes about what you can get others to do. And the success you can get for other people. So I think that's a big change. You more kind of are concerned about the people around you are also as successful or become even mm. more successful. I think that's an, again, and I wouldn't say anything specific to me, but I just think it's a progression of experiences and age. I think that's what has happened to me. But I think as a, I was recently talking to someone who worked in my first startup and I think they said, made an interesting comment about me, which I was, no, I don't think was true, but they said, we never showed stress. And I was like, I didn't know that. But I think I've generally not been a very stressed out character. Mm. That's been, I think, quite consistent over the last 30 years. Yeah. And before we started the podcast, right, we were talking about how you have a 450 people company now. 
and you have no HR, you have uh, no appraisal. So is that also uh, an extension of that uh, philosophy, like live and let live uh, that you were just talking about? Look, I went through phases. So I, I obviously started my corporate career with a consulting firm. I saw HR there. I then in my first startup, I think we were probably in one of the most organized startups. I, thanks to my co-founders, there's a lot of processes, a lot of, I think, even now I would say the first company I had at processes better than I think most other companies, let alone startups. And, and we did have, I think, a lot of what we would call uh, HR and talent and leadership. I think my general sense really was, I just looked at the amount of work that went in, uh, in this discipline and mm. the kind of problems it tried to solve, but actually the side effects and the problems it created. And uh, when we started the third startup, the second startup, we acquired a company, they already had HR and they were very, so I, I would say this has been a phenomenon from 2017, not earlier. I just really thought about it and said, look, why do we have this? And I just went by first principles and said, it really doesn't make sense. We recruit adults and treat them like kids. Hmm. That we have this policies, uh, roles. Then we, every year we have to do one report card. When uh, like like a parent teacher meeting, we have to call these guys, talk to them. Of course, because they're adults, we will do three sixty degrees. And it creates a tremendous amount of, I think, uh, once in a event in a year and paradigm, which I'm not sure whether it really solves anything or helps in anything. Hmm. Humans inherently like to be assessed. I think inherently like positive strokes, inherently some of the appreciate feedback. I understand all that. But having someone externally run it rather than the people you're dealing with every day didn't seem to make much sense to me. And then I really looked at my first startup and second startup to figure out what is the actual occurrence of what you would call violation of policies and the cost to the company and what it would actually mean. And I realized that you we know, were fretting about maybe a 5% uh, issue in terms of somebody using something that they should not have done or whatever it is. And for that, you'll have to create an old empire. Again, didn't make any sense to me. So I think that it really was that. And I think finally it was also that, look, how would I like to be treated? In a, if I join a company today, how would I like to be treated? And I said, look, if I, this is the way I like to be treated, I wouldn't want to subject anybody else to any other kind of treatment. I will say that live and let live is also meant, and I will come back to a little bit in that, why not today is comprised of Many entrepreneurs who come together mm. and they brought with them their own culture, their own uh, set of people. So there are teams which have, uh, I, I would suspect, formal policies internally, but they, we don't have an HR centrally to preside on races or anything else. So to that extent, I would say I would be quite right in saying why not today does not have any HR. Uh, yeah, but thank you. Yeah, I think that's quite unique. And you said it very wisely, right? That why do you hire uh, adults and then treat them as, as children? But I think one of the reasons that companies introduce uh, processes is to bring the people in a unified way of working so that there is not a chaos and there is a single direction because otherwise uh, it gets very chaotic, especially for the leaders, right? For the leadership team, it becomes very chaotic, chaotic if everybody is running in their own direction. So I'm very curious, how has that panned out for you or how do you navigate or deal with that? I think we need to break down that question into many parts, yeah. Look, at the end of the day, I think if you're talking about the process being important to set an objective, yeah, I think as a point, it's valid. I think really the process gets started by getting people and aligning them in the direction of where you want to go. And you know, I think one of the analogies I used with you when I talked to you first time is that to me, Vayana is like a train. And then the train has got a fixed set of tracks it runs on and it's got a destination. It's got all the trains usually will stop only at those designated stops. And it has, a, it has got a final point. 
it doesn't suddenly extend itself somewhere else. So you don't have a train going to Delhi that suddenly decides to go to Bhubaneswar, except in COVID. So if you have that as an example, but you also then realize suddenly when you unpack it and you look at a train and uh, some of us who have traveled on it as children or even now, realize that every compartment is a unique uh, ecosystem by itself. Every compartment, depending on what the people in it, the class, whatever way you want to dice it, is really unique by itself. And within a compartment, even a coupe might be very different by itself. The one single set of yeah. people on one side and two people on the other side might behave very differently. Some will be sharing food, some will be playing games together, some will be sharing jokes, third, some people just retreat to their corner and do whatever they're doing. Some people will fight. All of that happens. And then to me, that's been a kind of a core concept I have in my head that at the end of the day, it's a very organized mode of exactly how they are going, unlike flights or roads or cars, uh, where you have multiple options. Trains can only choose, largely speaking, one track to go in. Yeah, so yeah. in that sense, if you define the track and define the destinations, hmm. I think then you really are telling people who are onboarded to that they know where they're going. There cannot be any confusion. It doesn't mean that you can't be having an identity of your own. It doesn't mean that you cannot create a kind of a culture of your own. But that culture can only exist within a common train. Yeah. You have a vestibule connecting it to every compartment, to compartment, mm -hmm. some connectors and all that. People can move between compartments. And we do find in a train people do that. But yeah. it is a, it's a freedom. So I think that to me has been very important. When especially the company that's grown by acquisitions, I think it's even more important because you have people coming in at various stations, right? I mean, when we started Vyana in 2017, our first acquisition was in 2019, then in 2020, then in 2022, and then one in 2023. And they're all uh, exceptional teams that came in with their own compartment that they created. They decided to stick to the Vyana train. But then yeah. They had to continue with the compartment, but now they knew where they were going and what tracks it was. So I think that's parity that you need. I don't know whether you need a... A consistent process because people, let's look at it, right? If you take an educational institute, in general, at least when I used to be around, I don't know now how it is, but you could make out an IIT KGP guy from an IIT Kanpur guy to an IIT Bombay guy, or in my case, a VJTI guy, because of general, I think a little bit of osmosis that happens between people when they are in the same situation. Mm -hmm. I think to that extent, that is permissible. I, but I don't know whether one, so I have a general rule. I, I always tell people, company is not a family. I, I simply detest that analogy. I think you have a family, your wife's kids or your parents or whoever it is, cousins, brothers, whatever you go back to at home. Company is a stage yeah, where you come and perform, right? That it has and success attached to it. It comes from your performance. It comes from the performance of co-stars on your stage. I don't think you should make a company place where you want to define it by the lunches you've had with the kids and did rangoli competitions and carom competitions and all that. People make friends and they will hang out with their friends. Like those yeah. friends that they meet in the workplace, so be it. I, yeah. I am going to define what the workplace etiquette should be. I am just saying at the end yeah. of the day. Look, it just comes from this fundamental notion that the reason for us to exist uh, in the company is because we like the destination it's going to or we like this train. If it's a free will of free choice, right? Yeah. Sure, you may not have seats in another train, but if you decide to go to Ahmedabad, you're going to go to Ahmedabad. It's not, oh, I wanted to go to Calcutta, but I decided this is the only train available to go to Ahmedabad. I, I, I just think there has to be this ability to understand that really speaking, what you talked about in terms of alignment. Yeah. 
is really a lot more broad-based than necessarily has to be instilled in prose. Into so when you, yeah. so when you use the metaphor of a train, the tracks, what is the equivalent of tracks? Is that like the direction, the milestones, and then everything else? the compartments can basically decide for themselves. Yeah, yeah, there is a very interesting thing about tracks, right? So first and foremost, you have different kinds of tracks for different speeds. So we do have today one day by the trains, if you're familiar with them in India, which can run actually at much higher speeds, but they are constrained to drive at 130 or 140 or 160 kilometers, but because of the tracks and the signaling system. So tracks have a certain sense of constraints. So you are laying down a certain set of constraints and a certain set of milestones simultaneously. You are saying that these tracks, these tracks will lead us from point A to point B to point C to point D. Are you comfortable with it? Because look, at the end of the day, if you're deciding to get into a passenger train and expecting that it'll run like a bullet train, that's not going to happen. So you are saying, look, this train is going to run on these tracks. And because of the way these tracks are laid out, this is the maximum that we can go in. And these are the stations that we are going to encounter along the way. I think that is the clarity that you will bring in continuing that metaphor. So yeah. Joining someone like Vienna, for example, could mean that it is very different from joining some other really on the tearway startup. Because ours is much more of a slower moving train. When mm. uh, we are in financial services, it's a lot more responsible. We are carrying a lot of people. We have to make sure that we run at a very constrained speed so that it is. So I think the question really is that for us, that is very important. So when you come into us and join our train, this is the train I'm getting into. I cannot get into a passenger train and claim that boss is stopping at every station. Uh, similarly, I can't get into a bullet train and say, oh, I, my stop is not there. Those are all the various yeah. things that belong with this metaphor mm. that really need to think through. So I think the important thing really is that trains are also generally being, of course, one could think of a ship. For me, as a ship, the only problem is that in the ocean, you can choose many directions. We are mm. not a ship. Unfortunately. From a carrying capacity point of view, it can carry a lot and goes very far. I mean, we've had historically trains that went length and breadth of huge continents. So I did. Yeah. Uh, to me, that's probably the reason why I like that metaphor. It, it is not 100% accurate, but it's, I think, reasonably accurate to define how we would like to take it. Yeah. And given the way that you do things, what are the biggest challenges uh, that you face, either as an organization or for yourself as the CEO? Look, you are um, going to continuously have this question about is there some better way of running this train? Mm. You're going to continuously have this question about, should I at all be in this compartment or should I be in some other compartment? I'm going to continuously get this question about whether every compartment, why can't it be air conditioned? Mm. So you have all these conditions when you suddenly say, look, this train is divided up into, diced up into compartments and each compartment has its differences. Uh, the fact is that people are after some time in the train are going to say why can't I get the benefits of somebody else or can I shift my seat or can I if I take that metaphor along there are obviously issues about being in a train also that I think those are challenges we face mm. um, a lot of people come from cultures which have instilled in you that you need to have appraisals you need to have performance uh, salaries salaries based on performance you need to have travel policies you need to have vacation policies and they think that that cuts away the ambiguity. It cuts away other people abusing it. A lot of people get upset when people don't turn up for work and say, oh, you're, this guy is taking a lot more vacation than I am. It, it, it cuts you in many ways. Hmm. At the end of the day, the fundamental question you have to ask is, if you like the culture where it came from, you should stay there. I'm sorry. I, you know, I don't want to be brutal. That's the way I look at it. I, at the end of the day, you come into a value system. You have to capture all the value. You can't say, I can cherry pick and say this I like and this I don't like. So... 
I love my freedom given to me, but I don't want that freedom to be extended to others. That doesn't make sense to me. So uh, I know I am very good and I'm, I work 18 hours a day and therefore nobody should snoop over my shoulders and figure out whether I'm working or not. But somebody else, I think is only working five hours a day and therefore now you snoop on him. It doesn't work that way. At the end of the day, it's like it's standard freedom of expression or whatever. You really yeah. cannot say what is right for me and wrong for others. So yeah, I think that's the challenge you face. And there is a real challenge because you end up finding out that people sometimes don't like the ambiguity that differences can't have. But then they are not right for us mm. because that's what we are. We are in a, we, first of all, we call ourselves startup. Let's understand what that means. It fundamentally means someone who is disruptive. And there's no reason for us to exist if we are not going to challenge the status quo. Look, it's as simple as that. Yeah. Otherwise, it will just be a company. Yes. There will be a day when Vyana will become a company. And at that point in time, over us in leadership needs to figure out whether we need to be a lot more like other, other mm-hmm. companies. Yeah. Right now, we are in a phase where we every day have to be disruptive. And then we tell people we'll be disruptive by making sure you all conform to some templatized processes. Mm-hmm. Policies. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me. There's a famous experiment Singapore did, right? And sometime back of trying to get creativity into the country. Mm. Now, that's a tough exercise. If, if, if there are so many rules about stating what you can do and can't do, and then tell people you have to be creative, it, it doesn't come together. And therefore, you have to figure out that a lot of entropy brings a lot of creativity. Mm. For a startup and you're going to be disruptive, you cannot yeah. say things have to be perfect. Mm. Um, yeah. And have you seen that creativity or innovation coming in from your organization, which has led you to to the pace of growth that you are in? I, I would suspect that won't be a reason why we are existing today and doing well. I would think that there are people who feel that this is my my innovation. I can find a place to do it well and challenge it. Yeah. Challenge ourselves with it. Um, I don't think it would be possible if it was a very kind of a place. Hmm. I don't mean to say there is a complete lack of sensibilities. Look, at the end of the day, we all live by numbers. This is an investor, invested company. So therefore, we all have to make sure that we are doing businesses that make sense, that are practical. We can't be doing moonshot projects all the time. So, you know, you have to have that practicality in it. But that's a practicality that comes from the fact that you know what you're getting yourself into. Look, at the end of the day, we are in financial services. Now, I cannot be disruptive when I'm not compliant. I have to be compliant with the regulations, with what my central bank tells me and everything else. So I my creativity is bounded anyway by external factors. Yeah. I cannot suddenly decide I, I can do some something else which the law does not allow me. And therefore, there is a bound there. Similarly, there is a trust is a very important part of financial services. I can mm. never lose the trust of my customers. Yeah. So those are all things that come along with those are the tracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in ways to me, those yes. are the I, those tracks will mean that I will not suddenly end up going in a wrong direction. Mm. But yeah. those are the tracks that I have. But within those bounds, can you be creative? Of course you can. Yeah. Mm. Can you take out your dumbru and start bajowing in the train and you know uh, get everybody into a song and dance? So stuff. I, I want to talk about trust here, right? Because it takes a tremendous amount of trust in yourself and then in others, right? To have that amount of flexibility and freedom. So how has that shifted for you over the years? How have you built that trust in yourself, which now you can extend to others and not be bothered by the five person, right? Uh, I see a lot of leaders who rely or who start with suspicion and they give trust only when there is proof or there are reasons to be trustful. 
while you, with you, I think you're trusting by default and that requires a tremendous amount of trust in oneself. So can you share a bit about that? Look, it's a very interesting thing. I, and I think this has been there from the day I started off as an entrepreneur. You know, when, I, when we first created our first office, I remember telling people there that I want to get a phone in every desk. In those days, it should be landline phones. And I should say, I need the STD and ISD unlocked. Mm-hmm. Because previously, in most companies, you needed to get a permission from a boss to and order the specific code because otherwise people could misuse it. And I found this, one of the examples I learned about was about some bank in UK that wanted its customers to trust it, but I had the pen on a chain when you went to branch so that people could not back off the pen and take off. It told you, just symbolize to me what is wrong. You essentially are saying, look, you should trust me, but I don't need to trust you. You are coming and working for me, trusting that I'll pay your salary end of the month, that I'll allow you to grow in a particular way. Please trust me for all that and give up your current job. But yeah. you know, I trust you. I know I'm going to pay. It just strikes me as you know things that you have grown up with without questioning it. To me, I default trust people is not a sign of greater human being I am. Mm-hmm. I just find it economically very lucrative to trust. And then if there is an issue, I find that is not really, is not very large. And that it, it really creates an issue. Look, at the end of the day, people respond to trust. People, when they are trusted, could behave with far more responsibility than anything else. Yeah. And that's what I have seen all human beings behave with. There are very few human beings who will use trust to abuse it. And if mm-hmm. they were to it, they would find a way to abuse it, even if you put under policies around it. Yeah. There's no way you are not going to, human beings are very devious creatures if you leave it to them. And the moment yeah. you say, this gate is closed, you cannot go to the other side, they'll figure out some way to open the gate or to find some other detour and get into it. Yeah, That's the way we are. So I think just telling them, look, we want, this is the reason why this we are trusting you. And mm-hmm. uh, this trust, it helps you to work unsupervised. Yeah, I This creates a very positive effect. I find it very difficult to figure out how, what will you do with distrusting everybody. I see a lot of these productivity tools that require when work from home was rampant and now of course it's still there where people put it on a machine, some software that will find out when you are on the machine, how long have you worked. I'm really thinking this, this could be a perfect corporate jail. We really have completely distrusting of our people that we really need to police them. And that's why I said this is a police state then. I just find it economically stupid. I, I'm not even getting into the moral side of it, the ethical side of it. I'm not even getting into all yeah. that. So a different time and different debate. I'm, I just think just economically it is so stupid. You have to spend so much money to figure out whether people will work the way they're supposed to work. Why did you hire them in the first place? And my fundamental question to most leaders is if you don't trust somebody, why do you have him? Hmm. I cannot understand how can you have somebody and then distrust them. That's so strange. Would you have somebody working in your house who you t- one, do not trust that, oh, if I leave my you know, cash out, she, will, she or he will take it away and run with it. Then why do you have that person in the first place working in your house? I, I just find it very corny. I, I don't know whether I'm making it too naive. I just, I find it very corny. But the same question comes about salaries and I'm just going to answer it because, yeah. you know, this whole idea of paying people salaries based on their previous year's performance has struck me as one of the most daft ideas. Look, we are promising to pay them the next 12 months a fixed amount of money for work that they did last year, for which they got paid. So you are saying, look, I underpaid you last year uh, because I didn't realize you would have so much great impact and now I'm going to overpay you. Mm-hmm. And this year, if you don't have any impact also, I'll overpay you. It just strikes me really strange that you are paying people based on previous year's performance. It's like driving a car with only looking at the rear view mirror. Yeah. 
you're going to have an accident. You you have to tell people, look, this is what I expect from you from this year. And in this year, the reason I'm going to give you this much is because if I were to recruit somebody to do the same work, do the same skill sets that I'm looking at, and this is what I would pay them. And so I'm going to pay you and probably I'll pay you a little bit of loyalty bonus. I find I'm just going to pay you based on the market. Yeah. I, you have been in, and I know you would have familiar with HR. We will give some salaries to everybody. Then we will do one rationalization. Then one reverse rationalization. These are all, I think, stuff that uh, people dreamt up to keep themselves busy. This is just nonsense. I'm sorry. But I, I think I, I love the... Uh, it was yeah. really strange that we are in 2023 and looking at the same principles that led in the agricultural society. Yeah. And we are living in a model world. I, I find it very paradoxical. Yeah, thank you for being so straight, so simple with these, uh, some of these like traditional models and uh, simply thinking afresh. So just one more bit on the salary part, right? So you pay the salaries based on what these people are promising for the next year, right? Not the past year. That, that's, the, that's the mindset, right? That you're bringing into it. Yes. Look, at the end of the day, every, let's say, a department or a profit center head has to decide. He knows, he's, we are asking him, what are your targets this year? Yeah. Also, target is a He knows what he's got, he or she has got to produce. And therefore, he has a set of people through whom he's going to deliver it. He's got to figure out what the cost is going to be. He's going to figure out what capabilities he wants to be. And therefore, he has to reward the team based on that. Let's just say that next year you were working for a different boss who had a very different idea of you. And this year you're working for a different boss. And they will be different in terms of what they expect out of you. So, I just think a salary is actually an yearly appraisal of what it cost you for me to buy recruit from the market. Yeah. One of the standard problems I faced in my first startup was that we would recruit someone, let's say, at 100 rupees. Because that was, at that time, that's what he wanted, he or she wanted. And next year, he performs very well, we give him a 25% increment, he gets 125 rupees. He goes out elated, saying that I'm the top performer, I want 25%. Then he realizes you've recruited somebody with the same experience and possibly the same skill sets as far as he can tell at 150 rupees because that's what the market at that time was going outside for. And he's thinking, what did I do wrong? And then he will come back to you and say, look, I'm going to leave. And then you will say, oh, no, let me make you also 150. And this whole process will go on for six months. I used to have a term for this, or somebody made a term for it, maybe not me, called resignation for promotion, RFP. And I, I really thought this was, whole process was oriented towards that because you were making people believe that they were less worthy if they stayed in the company than to somebody you recruited new from the market. And that essentially came because the market is out of sync with you. So my just point is that, let's say the market was lesser than what you were paying, would you recruit someone lesser and that fellow would think, Arey, kaam kar hai bhi, and he's getting much more than I am. Right? So all these kind of nonsense comes about because I, to me, I, what I tell at least my team is we are recruiting fresh every year. It just so happens that we have some people with zero notice period. They are already available right now because they were with us last year. And then let's figure out what we should be giving them because that's what it would take us to replace them if I have to yeah. enter the market. I think that's the simplest logical way of doing it. To me, any other mechanism is too strange. Yeah, thank you for detailing that out. So you spoke about gardening earlier, right? So can you share what else do you do that completes you, that uh, fills you up with energy, fills you up with joy? You know, we talked about culture and all that. One of the things when people ask me and I tell them, look, three things that at least I define by myself is that I try to be curious, I try to be nice, and I try to be myself. And uh, so I, I just inverted it and made that a slogan for the company saying, be curious, be nice and be yourself. And to me, I think be curious for me, at least defines me. I am curious almost everything in this world. So I do end up reading a lot, going down every rabbit hole that exists. 
some something will come up and then I'll read a little bit more about it. I it's not like I try to understand everything and I don't think I'm capable of understanding everything, but I at least get an idea of I can take a thought a little bit further than I think I I normally would have been able to. So curiosity is I think something very important. So reading obviously comes a lot with it. I'd like to talk to people from various different disciplines. Yeah, just to understand what they're doing. And I think that's always very enriching. Some would say a lot of it does not have any impact on my work, but that's fine. I, I just find it fun to do that. I think being nice, I think, is just an, I think a reflection for me at least and something that I try to kind of practice is because I figured out again, it has a lot of economic benefits. It's amazing that the person who referred uh, you to me, I haven't talked to him for ages. And at some point in time, our paths intersected. We were colleagues. He hopefully remembers me nicely. And that's repaid itself. I got to know you and we're doing this podcast. So niceness has got this unlimited payback period in my mind. Now, whether you call it nice, kind, I don't know. I'm not so good at the language. Maybe the word should be kind. I don't know. I'm just saying, to me, even if you want to be upset with someone, you don't have to do it meanly or crudely or use language that doesn't make sense. Because it fundamentally never gives you anything positive. It only helps you to vent out. But it doesn't actually deal anything. If you deal with someone that's nicely at a point of time when they made a mistake, I think they actually give back a lot more. So I think that's the second part, the way I try to think about. And I actually read a lot about it just to figure out, am I... Because the world celebrates a lot of mean people. I always you get this idea where that I'm doing something wrong there. And third, of course, is I think be yourself. And I, I think I, I like certain things. My, I love filter coffee. I love blah, 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 whatever things. And I think it's very important to express yourself. And I think everybody in the company, whoever, we are recruiting, let's say I recruited you, Sumit. I expect you to be Sumit. I don't expect you to be Ayer. I don't expect you to be someone else. Yeah. Um, I shouldn't have recruited you. I should have recruited just a copy of myself. The fundamental fact that you're unique and you are very different is what I want you to remain true to. Mm. Otherwise, I shouldn't have recruited you. So I think we have people, for example, who use very salty language in the company. Mm. It, it is not like all of us speak very nicely. There are people who come from very different backgrounds where talking, using cross language is common. And you, if you tell them, look, don't use it, they don't understand why not, because that's the environment that they've come up with. You have to work with them. So to me, when you said, what do I do to complete myself? Hmm. It is to really understand people where they're coming from. I love just observing people and figuring out why do they do things that they do. Uh, it's an incredible and incessant source of uh, comfort, or not comfort, of fun. Just to observe people and say, why do they do things? And I'm, right now, as we do this podcast, I'm looking at those books on the back that you've got and that Dutch building that you've got on the thing. And I'm yeah. like, I'll probably remember this and keep scratching my head and figuring out next time when I talk to you, are these the same books? Are they different books? We will read it. So to me, that's fun. And I, then that's something I can do. I like I reach airports and train stations three hours before time, and people laugh at me for it. One of the things I love is to just sit in the waiting area and watch people. It's just amazing. People are such fascinating people to look at. So I mean, that's what I do. Thank you, thank you, Ram. I think there's so much that you have shared, which we many times try to capture in like business books or research studies, but you have. Uh, you not just shared it, but you're actually living it in your life, in your organization. And I sincerely appreciate you for that. I think uh, your curiosity shines through in everything that you said about people, understanding them, but also being yourself. And you're not trying to be a version of yourself for somebody else. You're not trying to look good. You're trying to just be yourself in the like the kindest or nicest possible way. 
and also as you said it's not just not just about being right or being morally correct it's it is what works better when you're working with people it is what uh, works best so why not right why not why do you follow and that i think that curiosity also leads you to questioning uh, like some of these uh, traditional or something which you heard somewhere and then to come up with your own uh, ideas rather than saying this never works because i don't see an example of uh, somebody doing that or some company doing that so thank you for the way you have shared i think this is a golden episode for me i'm going to cherish this for a while yeah thanks a lot so much and i was very flattering of you thanks a lot thanks you've yeah. been very nice <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah thank, thank you to wrap this up right if anybody who's listening wants to find out more about you or reach out to you what is the best way for them to do so? i have a email id called rnayer@vyanar.com i'm not on whatsapp when that's resulted in a lot of time being available to me yeah yeah but i'm there on i respond very quickly to email so wonderful uh, yeah. yeah thank you okay. once again and uh, yeah wish you all the best for everything that lies ahead for you in the future hey thanks a lot to me that's it for this episode of choosing leadership with sumit gupta i choose leadership every time i record this podcast and i invite you to do the same i invite you to design a life of joy meaning pride and satisfaction not just for yourself but for everybody around you If you got something out of this episode would you share this episode on social media and if you know somebody who would be a great guest can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show and if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast and i love seeing your posts and guest suggestions this is what i do most naturally to lovingly and gently provoke you to help you see your own light to help you see what you are already capable of to make sure you don't miss any episodes go ahead and subscribe your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team if you want to know more go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on linkedin I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality and I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.